So um, I started playing guitar when I was 13 or 14 years old. And um, I say 13 or 14 because the first few years don't, didn't even really even matter. I had no idea what I was doing. Never took lessons. Um, and self-taught is something you can say um, like with pride, but I, it's actually not something to be proud of, I realize. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. YouTube didn't exist back in those days. This was, this was like year 2000, right? And um, you couldn't do much on the internet. It took a long time to do anything. But what I could do was you could download what is called guitar tabs. Anybody that plays guitar ever done this? And, and it's like a Word document with a bunch of dashes going across and six lines representing the six strings of a guitar and then numbers on the line for what fret uh, on each string you're, you're supposed to press down on to play a certain riff or to play certain chord shapes had never taken lessons, had never played music with any other person. And what I didn't know is that for the first probably year and a half that I played guitar, I was doing everything upside down. Because I had no working knowledge of music theory, especially as it applied to the, the neck of a guitar. And so the strings of a guitar, um, are the, the way the, the tabs were set up was high to low. And I was thinking up to down. And so I was just playing everything upside down. And so, and I always thought like, this doesn't quite sound right. And it sounds like kind of, but it doesn't quite sound like this song that I'm trying to play right now. And, um, and so I, one day in high school, like a freshman year of high school, I, I had a friend from school. We'd been talking about music. We liked all the same bands, whatever. So he came over to my house into the basement where I lived to jam. He brought his guitar and, hit, and we cranked the amps up. And we started playing the song, a song that we were going to play together. And I, I heard him playing and I was like, man, that sounds like it's supposed to. <laughs> and I looked at what he was doing with his hands and I realized, Oh, that's what that chord is supposed to look like. We're playing power chords, which a power chord does is like this. Okay. You guys see that? This is a power chord. I was playing them upside down like this. I didn't realize I was doing it backwards. And so which some certain chords could kind of sound right. Others sounded very wrong. And, and, and so I was like, I, I, I had a moment, an aha moment. It was a life-changing moment forever in my musical career where I went, that's what that's supposed to look and sound like. And so I learned, I actually started learning how to properly play the guitar after I played with somebody for the first time. Point is, um, we need other people. We need other people to, in order to learn anything in life, to grow and apply to any category of your life. And especially when we talk about following Jesus understanding what God is like, getting an accurate picture of who the person of Jesus is. We need other people. We might end up with a picture or a version or an experience that is upside down or backwards or just slightly off. We need one another. Is that good? We're starting a new series today called Come and See. And, um, you know, our, our mission statement here at Grace Midtown is together inviting all humans to become awake to God. We, we chose this language carefully. We wrestled through it for years. Together, inviting all humans to become awake to God. And, um, and for us, uh, going into this next chapter in the life of the church, we are recognizing uh, that God is leading us as a church to really zero in even more on that together inviting thing. And um, to, today in the passage we're going to read and in the um, series that we're beginning, we're going to be talking a little bit about that idea of um, what it looks like to invite people 
to come awake to God and how we become awake to God even more as we follow Jesus. This uh, series and this sermon is called Come and See. We're going to be in John 29 through 51, or John 1, 29 through 51. Uh, we've got the NRSV on the screen. I've got NIV in front of me. I'm going to read off the screen because um, I chose this one for us to read together today. The next day, he saw Jesus, as John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I, I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the chosen one. The next day, John, again, John the Baptist, again, was standing with two of his disciples and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said, said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. His, he first found his brother, Simon. We good? I'm going to keep rocking. We've got, it's kind of a long passage, but there's a lot of good stuff here. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, verse 41, actually, I'll tell you, the NIV of this says, um, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother, Simon. So he first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter or rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe just because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. It's a long passage. There's a lot here for us. This is good stuff today for us, though. There's multiple characters in the story that I want to, um, for us to, 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 to follow uh, as they interacted with Jesus and one another in this story. But remember, we're, we're beginning a series called Come and See, talking about together inviting and this idea that we need each other. We need other people. If we're going to get an accurate picture of Jesus and we need other people to even discover Jesus for ourselves. And as I talk to you today, I actually would love if you are drawn to think back to your story. How are the ways that you met Jesus, the ways that, that you first came in contact with him, the ways that other people were impactful for you, 
as you came to know Jesus for yourself. Or maybe even today, you're in a place where you're going, I don't know if I know Jesus for myself. I believe Jesus has something that he wants to say to you today as we uh, get into this passage of scripture. So uh, there are three people in the story besides Jesus who do some version of inviting others to come and see Jesus. The first is John the Baptist. He's probably the one that we identify the least with because he's this wild man living out in the wilderness, living out in the desert. He's wearing camel hair clothes and eating locusts and honey and calling people to repentance. Uh, but primarily what he's doing is he's, t- well, he's talking to the crowds, right? So he's talking to a bunch of people he doesn't really know. He has his own disciples, his own followers that are following him, the two guys in the beginning of the story. But he is primarily just just pointing at Jesus in this story, right? And uh, so he's telling the, the groups of the crowds, the people he probably doesn't know, hey, this is the, the son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the lamb of God. And then he's telling his two disciples, this is the lamb of God. This is how he's inviting people. Andrew, one of his disciples, goes and follows Jesus. And the first thing Andrew does, it says, is he goes and gets his brother, Simon. So his first impulse when he realizes, I, we have found the chosen one. We found the Messiah. We found the son of God. Here he is, the one we've all been waiting for. And this is first century Israel. The the people of Israel had been long awaiting the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament that the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of God would come and liberate them from their bondage and oppression. And they found him. His first impulse is to go get his brother, Simon. And then you've got Philip, who, this is interesting, Jesus finds Philip, it says. Jesus is in Galilee. Finding Philip, he says to him, follow me. So he directly calls Philip to come follow him. And it says, Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. So you've got these people as they're having dynamic and dramatic experiences of Jesus firsthand, their initial response is to go bring someone else along. This is just a natural, this is their natural human response. I've got to go get that person and bring them along. And this is such a powerful thing. Once again, I, I would love for you to, to think back on your story, whatever that has been, and, and what have been the people who've invited you along and how that's impacted you in your life. As I've thought back on my, my story of coming awake to God in my own life, um, God has met me in some amazing ways and, and very personal ways in my life. Um, but I, I've realized as I've, as I've reflected on my story, the way that people in their intentionality um, brought me along to a place where I could meet Jesus in a new way for myself. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I've, t- I've talked about this before. When I was 16 years old, I went to a, a young life camp, Windy Gap, uh, as a sophomore in high school. Come on, we got S- Stacy Mosby down here, Midtown Area Young Life Director in the house. What's the, you guys changed the name of the area. What's it, what's it called? Atlanta Central. Okay, I saw it in the email recently. I needed to ask you about it. Okay, there we go. Um, we got we love Young Life here at Grace Midtown, um, and uh, and it, so I was at this camp as a 16 year old. I don't really even know what I was doing there. I had been around. I had like this one group of friends that was kind of my Young Life friends, and I went to this camp, and um, and and I remember during the talk on the last day, there was a message. This guy was giving a message, and I felt something happening in me. I felt stirred. 
I felt, I didn't have the language then or the awareness, but God was doing something in me and in my heart, right? But it was kind of nebulous at that point. I, I just recognized something's happening, I, but I couldn't, I didn't have the language. I don't remember anything that that guy said. I don't remember. It wasn't like, here's, the, here's what needs to happen in my life now. Nothing like that. I just felt something, right? And my friend, Stephen Byerly, was there with me at Young Life Camp. And he came up to me after the talk. We were back in the cabin or something. I don't remember if maybe we had like a discussion time. Maybe I said something that made him, that prompted him to do this. Or maybe he just felt it in himself. I don't, I actually don't remember. But he came to me and said, hey, Rob, do you want to go back into that main room and find someone to pray for us? Like, because I, I feel like I, I want to like start over with God. You want to do that? And I, and I said, yeah, let's do that. And so we went went back into this room and the guy who was the speaker that day was still there. And we went and talked to him. Hey, I want to start over with God. Okay. He gave me a Bible, told me a Bible verse, prayed for me. And what happened though, in that moment was something that was nebulous. I was feeling, I was beginning to process. I don't know. I wasn't aware fully of what God was doing. Something, something, unclear and nebulous became concrete and I was given a threshold that I could step across. And I ended up coming back from that camp knowing I had crossed the threshold, knowing that something had changed in my life and able to point at something and even able to point at a date on a calendar and say, that's a moment that I've crossed, I've crossed over into a new, a new way of life and a new way of existing. And I'm, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus now. And it took me years to, to, recognize the power of the invitation of my friend, Steven in my life, because I, I wouldn't have gone back into that room if he hadn't said, Hey, do you want to go? You want to come with me? We'll go find someone to pray for us. I wouldn't have done that. I just wouldn't have, I wasn't thinking about it. And I don't know why Steven invited me to do that. I don't know if, if it was something I said, I don't know if it was something that God was speaking to him about. I don't know if maybe he just wanted to go get prayer and he didn't want to go alone. <laughs> You know, you ever find yourself in that place? Like I'd rather, I'd feel more comfortable taking a friend than going alone. Whatever happened though, the two of us went down there and, um, and he couldn't have known the fruit that that moment would bear in my life. He couldn't have known the importance of that moment in my unfolding story as a young person. We often don't realize the power of, um, hey, hey, come along with me. We often don't recognize the power of, hey, come and see. Let's go, let's go together and see what's there for us. I think so often we discount it and we, we live in a society that is so, we're so individualistic and we're so, we actually moving towards so isolated. And, um, and we'll get into some of the obstacles I think that come with um, inviting someone to Jesus that, that many of us grapple with on a regular basis. But I don't know that I'd be standing up here on this stage doing what I'm doing, living my life as it exists right now um, without that invitation from Stephen that day. So each of these three people, they extend an invitation. I think it's important for us to, to be really clear, like what's my role? What's your role in, in together inviting and in inviting someone to come and see 
Jesus? What is your role? What does that actually look like? And we've got different expressions of it in the story. You've got John the Baptist, and he's kind of the closest thing we've got to a vocational minister in the picture, right? He's like the guy in front of a crowd going, hey, everybody, look over there. And I think there's, this is actually helpful. Maybe he's unrelatable for a lot of us. Actually a very helpful picture for me. I'm a pastor and my role and my job comes with a whole lot of stuff. A lot, you know, leadership, organizational stuff, preaching sermons is part of it. Like there's a lot there, but at the core, there's something about knowing like I am here to point to Jesus and trust that Jesus is then able to do something, right? That's really all I'm trying to do right now. Point at Jesus and trust Jesus to do ministry on his own behalf. He's doing that, right? And then there's also, he's, what I love about John the Baptist, if this is helpful for you, it's helpful. If it's not, we'll keep moving. But he does it with this open-handedness. He holds everything loosely. He has his own followers, his own guys that are in his little group that he loses to Jesus, He's not going, yeah, go follow him, but you'll be back for tomorrow's meeting at 8 a.m., right? Like, no, he's just like, all right, that's him. He holds everything. He's holding people loosely. He's not clinging to people. People will come and go. If you're leading something, if you're leading a house church, if you're leading a, a mentorship group, if you're leading, if you're trying to invest into to other people's spiritual formation, if you're leading some other type of ministry, people will come and go. You have to, we have to trust Jesus to lead them. That's it. And so there's this openness and this, he's, he's not clinging. He's pointing at Jesus. He knows his role. He's pointing at Jesus. He's holding people loosely and he's trusting Jesus with them. Is that good? Yeah. All right. So then you got Andrew, his first impulse to go get his brother. And this is sort of the opposite of John the Baptist. He's not talking to crowds. He's not talking to strangers. It's not the random person out on the street. He doesn't have a megaphone. He doesn't have a microphone. He invites the closest person in his life to come find what he just found. The most relevant person in his life is his brother, Simon. And he says, I found the one that we've been looking for. Simon, you got to come see. You got to come see. And this is such a, this is like, imagine the person that um, you have in, in your life that you have the most shared interest with. You're already texting this person about whatever that thing is. And then when you get the news about it happening or you, you experience something, it's going to be the first person that you reach out to and go, oh my gosh, I just saw this thing. Whatever that is, whether that's like you like the same sports team or whatever. The person you're thinking, you immediately think to reach out to, to pick the conversation back up. That's Simon, Right. This is Andrew's brother. Also, though, we have to recognize that sometimes the people that are closest to us in our lives, that we have the most history with, we might feel the most uncomfortable about saying, hey, here's what God's doing in my life. (laughs) I want you to know about it. I think maybe he has something for you too. We might feel the most resistance there with family, with long-term friends, with people that we're most proximate with. Because they know our lives, they, whatever, because maybe it feels like there's more at stake. Like if they reject me in this moment, do we lose something? There's more to lose. I don't know. Either way though, Andrew goes immediately and gets Simon. And this is crazy. Okay. He could not have known 
that by going and get, getting his brother Simon, that that moment would catalyze a life of walking with Jesus for the person who would become the closest person in Jesus in a circle throughout his ministry would become one of the primary leaders of the, the first century church would become the first Pope Peter that Jesus would say on this rock, I will build my church. Andrew just, I don't know what's going through Andrew's mind, but he just went and got his brother. He just went and got his brother. He could not have known what would come of this, the fruit that would come of it. And here's what I want you, one thing I want you to notice about these, um, these, I'm going to call them the secondhand disciples. <laughs> you have the firsthand people, right? Who are meeting Jesus directly for themselves. And then you got the secondhand people who go and get a friend. And Jesus does more in the moment for the secondhand person. He's in the story, at least. He speaks a, a word of identity and calling directly to Simon. In fact, get this, the, the, the invitation was come and see. But when Simon shows up, it says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. See, the thing that happens for us when we say, okay, I'll come and see what this is all about. What we discover is the God who already sees us. We come and see Jesus. We discover that he's already looking at us. And these, um, I'm going to call, I'm, I'm saying secondhand because I identify with the secondhand followers of Jesus. I identify with the one who got invited along, who was, I think for a number of years when I first started walking with Jesus, I was like, did I just get lucky? <laughs> was I just in the right place at the right time? I had, you know, I, can't, I, I had my initial moment of, of beginning to follow Jesus. And then I started, um, I got into a, a really amazing friend group in high school after that, a group of guys who'd been walking with God longer than me. And it was just a really, I mean, I, I, count so much of my spiritual initial spiritual formation to just my group of friends. And, um, and there were a couple of years in high school where I was thinking like, am I just, did I just like stumble into something God was already doing? And I'm just like lucky to be here. <laughs> and if so, I'm happy to be here. It actually took a few years for me to realize, Oh, God's, God's speaking to me for me. And God is leading me as me. And God has something he wants to do through me. As me, I'm not just drafting off of the spiritual energy of my buddies who, who God is doing something in their life. Maybe you, re, you identify with that. Like, am I, do I, I, I'm, I'm in the house church and that person's the leader. That person's the one who hears from God. That person's the one who really knows the Bible. That person's the one. And, and you realize that you stick around for a little while and you realize, no, no, I'm not here on accident. God, God brought me here and God sees me and he wants to use me and he wants to talk to me and he wants to walk with me. He wants me. This is what's happening for Simon. And then the same thing happens for Nathaniel. Philip, Jesus calls Philip, hey, come follow me. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and then brings Nathaniel along. And Nathaniel shows up and Jesus looks at him. It says specifically, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him. And then after Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. 
And the invitation is come and see. But we immediately find Jesus saying, I see you, I saw you, I know you, and I always have known you. So what's your role? What's your role? Before we get into the God speaking to you thing, what's your role in inviting others along? Who's just the most relevant person in your life? I mean, that's sometimes a good question. And then you've got Philip and Nathaniel. And this is an interesting story because Nathaniel, you get a little bit of texture around maybe Nathaniel's personality. And um, Philip says, hey, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? (laughs) Can anything good come from Nazareth? His initial response is cynicism. His initial response is like, hold on. I'll believe that. I don't know that I believe this yet, right? And, And then he comes along anyway Jesus speaks to him about himself and he goes, how do you know me? Like he still has this, like, what are you talking about? Until Jesus gives him detail about his own life. And then he quickly and dramatically declares an awareness of who Jesus is. And like, there's such a dramatic shift in that moment. And I think that sometimes maybe, maybe for Philip, maybe like, could Nathaniel have been a little bit of an intimidating person? To want to bring like, do you have people like this in your life? You're like, man, I don't know. I'm going to have to like answer a bunch of questions. And <laughs> maybe you're that person. Like, you're kind of like, look, you're sort of a straight talker. No BS. Like just direct, like, Hey, okay. All right. You want me to watch this TV show? you like, tell me, tell me why it's good. You know, like you, you need to be convinced a little bit. And, and the thing is Jesus isn't intimidated by that. I, um, my first job in ministry, I was a youth minister at a United Methodist Church. I was an intern, though, there a couple of years before that. My first day as an intern, I met everyone in the student ministry. And uh, I met this one guy who he was, he was, I was like 19. He was probably 15. His brothers were in the ministry too. And, but when I met him, uh, he, his first thing he said to me was, how do you know you're saved? And I was like, uh, and he goes, I know I'm not saved. And like, we weren't having a conversation about salvation in that moment. We weren't talking about anything. I was meeting him for the first time. He goes, I know I'm not saved. And his brothers were like, what are you talking about? Like, they were like trying to correct him. I think they were maybe one, everyone's wanting to make a good first impression with the new intern or something. He's like, no, 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 no. And I was like, I have no idea what conversation we're having right now. What I discovered though, over the next few months and years was that this was a young man who, um, he was just a direct person, straight talker highly intelligent and actually someone who took God really seriously and knew he wasn't about to half-heartedly give his heart to Jesus. He just wasn't. He kind of told me that that first day, like, I think it probably, I think it probably costs more than I'm willing to give right now to give my life to Jesus. So I just, I'm here. My family goes to this church. (laughs) I can't drive yet. So I'm here, you know, and what I found is, you know, this guy, he became a friend of mine over the next couple of years. When, when he got kicked out of his house one night, several years later, was my college roommates called me up and said, hey, uh, somebody's here. <laughs> he says he needs to stay with Rob, at Rob's house tonight. You know, like this is somebody who's became a part of my life and, um, and a friend of mine. And I think that so often the person that, that might, there might seem like there's a little bit of a barrier there initially that that person might be one to more fully give themselves when given the opportunity to truly come awake to God. Um, And that's where this is all going. That's what this is about, right? Is 
awake. Our, our mission statement is together inviting all humans to become awake to God. I think this passage so tells that story, right? There's an invitation. There's different types of people. And there's an awakening to God that takes place. What do we mean? This is good theology for us, by the way. Awake to God. There's a lot of different language we can use around coming to faith, giving your life to Jesus or whatever. Awake to God. I love this and we love it around here because it recognizes God's presence in your life, your entire life. And the shift happens when you become aware of it. He's been there in your story all along. He was there under the fig tree. And it's the moment that Nathaniel hears Jesus speak to him that everything changes. It's the moment that Simon hears Jesus speak to him that everything changes. Um, You see, when we invite people to come and see, to come along, I think maybe sometimes we, um, one of the obstacles I think for us is that we feel this pressure to like have all the answers, you know, like I have to speak for God to this person and I have to, I have to be able to communicate everything really clearly. And I have to answer all their questions about all the relevant things happening in the world, especially the stuff that often Christians are too vocal about in the world. So like, I'm have to answer them about like politics and, and the war and Gaza and stuff. Like, what am I like, gosh, I have to like, I just want someone to know Jesus. Do I, am I prepared to, to talk about all this other stuff to get there? And I think what we see here is, is your role is just to, invite someone along and then trust that Jesus already knows them. Jesus already sees them. Jesus is already at work in their life. And Jesus already has something real and meaningful and actually life-changing to say to them. And that becoming awake to God, that's not your job. That's not your job. Someone else becoming awake to God is not my job. Inviting is. And I think when we, tr- we, we learn to trust Jesus with other people's stories, some powerful things can happen. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Um, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know where you are today or who you identify with in this story. Maybe you do feel the challenge of, man, God's doing some stuff in my life. And I, I do feel these obstacles in terms of, uh, trying to invite someone along or invite someone to church or invite someone, just, just talk to somebody about Jesus. And I, I don't feel equipped and all that stuff, right. That we feel. And, and, and maybe there's an encouragement for you and just learning to trust Jesus in that process. But maybe you're here and you're Nathaniel and you're going, I don't know what I think about all this stuff, but I'm here. Or you're listening or watching online or you listen to the podcast. Somebody sent you the podcast and you're going, I don't know what I think about all this, but I made it, you know, uh, I, I made it 30 minutes into a sermon <laughs> It, and I'm not sure what I think yet still. And the, I would just say the, the, the good news for you today is Jesus knows you and Jesus sees you and Jesus is in your life already. And Jesus has something he wants to say to you that is deeply personal and deeply intimate and deeply meaningful And whether we realize it or not, I think the thing most of us are longing for is to be seen and to be known. And that so often is the result 
of a moment of ministry. It's a, it's the result of a moment of a friend reaching out and saying, Hey, I was praying and I feel like God brought this thing to my heart and I wanted to call you and encourage you about it. Like the thing is helpful that your friend says, but then also you go, Oh my gosh, God sees me. Right. Someone prays for you for healing and something changes in your body. And you go, Oh my gosh, that changes my quality of life. But then you also go, God cares about that. God cares about me in that way. He sees me. He knows me in that way. And the thing that God has for you today is he sees you and he knows you. And I believe he, he wants to speak words of identity and purpose and love to you. If that's you for the first time or that's you for the millionth time. And so let me invite you to stand up with us. Jesus, we want to hear your voice. We want to see your face. We want to um, come for the first time or come again and see you as you really are. And we want to say yes to you, you using our lives and our relationships to speak those words of life and identity and purpose into the lives of other people. It's simpler than we make it. We make it so complicated. What if it just comes down to come and see and then trusting Jesus that you not only want to be seen, but that you see all of us as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.